Well, this morning, I want to answer three simple questions for you. Um, Three questions that I think if you can get your head around these things, you will have such a more robust and beautiful understanding of Easter. And the first question that I want to help you think about and answer is simply this. What is the evidence of or for the resurrection of Jesus Christ? But before I give this answer... I have to give a little bit of a caveat, and the caveat is simply this. There's some people that when we open the Bible, they say, yeah, 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 but that's the Bible. That's not evidence, okay? And I want you to hear me on this. Before a book that is in the Bible was compiled and put together in the Bible, it was actually a letter or a document written by a person to another person or group of people, and it is historical by nature. Before it was a part of the Bible as we understood it, which came together in about the 4th century B.C., it was actually an historical uh, document written by somebody. And these books that actually made it into the Bible are hands down the most well-preserved documents in all of human history before the printing press. No set of documents has been better protected or better preserved because the early communities that had them saw them as not writings of just mere men. And so these documents were truly written by men in a certain time in the first century, and so they are unequivocally, absolutely, historically um, authenticated documents. They are not, and no honest scholar with any integrity will ever say that these documents were written in the second century or later. These were clearly, historically uh, around at the beginning or the the middle of the first century, um, within 20 years plus after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. So when I quote the Bible, here's what I need you to understand. This is not just a book that has been manipulated through centuries. These are actually individually books that are historically documented. They're historical evidence. And you cannot see them as Bible until you understand them as historical. And so I want to read a few things with you for you. And I think most of these are going to be a little bit undeniable, Okay. Jesus was actually historically killed by Roman guards who were professional executioners. Secular and Christian historians believe this. Do you believe this? Some of you are like, yeah, I think so, but I don't know. Uh, This is attested ever. Jesus was actually buried in a tomb. This isn't just in the Bible, although it's all over the Bible, right? Early documents from 25 years after Jesus was dead and raised again. Early documents attest that Jesus was actually buried in a tomb, Christian and secular. There was, this is not debatable, an empty tomb. Now, you may not, we may not all agree on why there's an empty tomb, but here's what we know. There was an empty tomb, and no dead body of Jesus Christ has ever been recovered, nor has anybody ever even for a second claimed that they have the dead body of Jesus Christ. So here's what we know. Jesus was actually historically killed. Jesus was buried in a tomb, and we have no idea how this dead body disappeared. But here's what we do know, that there were Roman guards at that that tomb. There were Roman guards protecting it, and they have no accounting and no clear explanation for what happened to the resurrected Jesus Christ. We also know this. Jesus' disciples, his followers, they believed when they were with Jesus that they were walking with a dead man who was raised who was raised. Okay? They, they believed this. This is not like some question. These people were committed to this. You may not believe it, but historically, they 
absolutely believed it. You cannot read any of the historical documents that made it into the New Testament without seeing these people are absolutely 100% convinced that they walked with a resurrected Jesus Christ. You might call them fools, but I want to just help you understand one thing. Sometimes when we look back into history, we can think these people are dumb because they lived before modern technology. They are not dumb. They are very smart people with logic and rationale, just like you and me, and they are just as skeptical as you and I are. And these people were convinced that they were walking with a Jesus who was executed and was raised from the dead. Jesus' 11 disciples, they walked with him. Uh, They, plus many thousands more, died cruel, painful, excruciating deaths because they were convinced they walked with a resurrected Jesus. And I want you to understand that when anybody secular or Christian looks back historically, these are not debatable things. The only apostle who did not die was John. History tells us that they tried to kill John. They couldn't. The 12th disciple, Judas, he was not there because he betrayed Jesus, and so he wasn't even around. Here's what we do know. The disciples before were normal dudes. After the resurrection, these guys traveled all over the world and literally changed the face of planet Earth and history as we understand it. Something happened to these guys that they believed to the core of their bones that there was a dead Jesus and now there is a living Jesus. We cannot even debate that these guys and men and women were convinced. Not only that, 500 plus people witnessed Jesus, 500 plus people. And that was so evident that Christianity grew and grew and grew because so many people had witnessed a resurrected Jesus Christ that thousands of people, objectively, historically, we know this, came to faith in Jesus Christ. Not, I want you to catch this, not purely by faith because they could see it. They could touch him. They were there to experience a resurrected Jesus. And let me tell you, all of these people were not idiots, okay? They are smart People who saw a dead Jesus and now are walking and talking with a resurrected Jesus with holes in his hands and holes in his feet. Keep going. Uh, no mythology. I think this is, this is important. Some of you geeks, you're going to like this. No mythology developed around the resurrected Jesus Christ. And this is important. I'll tell you why. Uh, mythology always develops after a person is dead and all the people who know him are dead. Okay? Um, there's no way that people are going to believe fanciful stories— about a man who's living or a man who's dead while all of the people who are with him were dead. Like, there's no way mythology could develop that quickly. Mythology historically always develops long after the person is dead. And the resurrection has no hints of mythology whatsoever. It is a simple, simple uh, story that made it all the way across the empire without contradiction in the first century. It's a simple story. He was dead. He was raised. He was dead. He was raised. He was dead. He was raised. And this story made it all throughout, all throughout the known world, and mythology did not seem to even develop uh, around this. Now, one of the most important things, uh, I think, to understand is that to protect from mythology, after the first century, any document not written by an apostle or, uh, uh, or say, uh, advocated by an apostle was not considered to be read or understood to be Christian because the only documents they wanted to be, to be uh, reflecting the Christian church explicitly as scripture were going to be documents that the apostles themselves had written or the apostles themselves had advocated. And so there was in the second century and third century some crazy people who started to write some things called the Gnostic Gospels, but these were not written and history tells us and dating tells us that mythology developed and the church said, no, 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 no. The earliest documents that we have from all of the first century clearly 
state a simple non-mythological story that there was a Jesus who was killed and that Jesus was alive again. And the Christian explanation is that God did it. Now, one of my favorite ones, and we've talked about this a lot at Village Church, his brothers worshipped him as Jesus, my bro- as God. My brother could not convince me that he is God, okay? I'm just, I'm just going to tell you right now, there's no way on God's green earth. His brothers were so committed to the deity of Christ. Historically, they wrote documents which made it into the Bible, James and Jude, and they wrote these books, and they believed that he was the Christ, the Son of God. Now, even more compelling, his mom, Mary, worshipped him as God. My little kids, I'm just going to be straight with you, they're evil, right? I mean, I love them, right? But they're wicked little sinners, man. They, and Jesus, according to Scripture, it was God, eternally preexistent, became flesh and was sinless. I want to know, what does a sinless two-year-old look like? Anybody else curious? Like, <laughs> if I didn't intervene in my kid's life, they would have killed each other a long time ago. I mean, just terrible human beings until we get our hands on them and give them the gospel. Like, I am convinced everybody needs the gospel because I have children. But his mother, his mother raised him. I mean, just think about your little boys, your little girl. Like, could they? It's insane. Something was so unique and distinct about Jesus from childhood all the way up that his brothers and his mother at the end of the day said, truly this was the Son of God. I mean, and these are, these are not things that are going to just make the case for you, but you just step back and you look at this, and you have to do something with this evidence. The best secular historians will step back and say, we may not have a good explanation, but he was dead and he was alive, and we got to figure out how that thing happened. Now, the Christian explanation, which is pretty rational, I think, which is God, who spoke and matter existed, raised Jesus from the dead. Like, that's fairly simple explanation. Um, it's not crazy, if you think about it, that God could do that. Uh, but there is so much overwhelming evidence for this that secular historians are just trying to figure out, okay, we've got to make sense of this. Maybe there was a mass hallucination, and they all just simultaneously, these hundreds of people uh, hallucinated the same thing. Maybe they stole the body, and then they hid it, and then died excruciating deaths for a lie that they didn't even believe. I mean, there's all of these ideas that come up, but they don't they just don't pass the scrutiny test. They don't make logical sense for what we saw that happened, what the history tells us, what these people truly believed. Read any New Testament document. Read any New Testament document. There is no hint whatsoever that these people do not 100% believe in every single word they're writing. Uh, many people who don't read the Bible sometimes look back at the Bible and we come up with these generalizations about the Bible. Give it a chance and read it and ask yourself this. Does this person believe what they're writing? And you cannot read the New Testament without knowing that you believe that these people actually believe what they're writing. A long time ago, I um, was with a friend who used to be a passionate follower of Jesus, walked away from Jesus, did not live for Jesus anymore. And so we were sitting down to eat, and I said to him, are you a Christian? And him and I knew what this term meant. And so are you a Christian? Here's, Here's what he said to me. I wrote it down. Here's one thing I can tell you. I absolutely believe in the resurrection. You have to be a fool or too prideful to honestly assess the data and still not believe. And this, this is, I think, a sentiment that if you're going to be honest, okay, and you're going to look at some of this evidence, you've got to step back and at least say this. He was dead and he was alive. Now, you you can put another explanation to it, okay? You could say it was miraculous in some other way. You could try to find another explanation. That's fine. But here's what I want us all to agree on. Jesus was dead, 
and Jesus was alive, and that we need to figure out how that happened. And the Bible gives, I think, the most compelling and clear evidence. Now, I want to go to the second question, which if you are a thinking person, this should be coming up into your brain eventually. If the evidence is so clear, then why do some believe and others don't? Anyone ever ask this question? I, I, all the time. So there's some of you here who don't believe. Glad you're here. Uh, and you think you're smarter than everybody else in this room. Awesome. Have at it. And there are some of you here, and you believe, and you think you're smarter than every person who doesn't believe. Good for you. You're smarter than everybody else. You, you have an edge to truth. You're, you just are more logical and more rational than all the people who didn't believe, right? Everyone in this room, no matter where you stand, you think you're smarter than the person who, does, who, who doesn't agree with you, right? Now, you don't have to admit that, but let's, let's be honest. Now, here's my question. Well, then what's the difference? Why do some believe and others don't? I want to read to you Matthew 16. And I want to ask you, if you're skeptical this morning, hear me out. Matthew 16, verse 15, Jesus says to the disciples, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I want you to hear me very carefully. What stands between you and believing in and loving the resurrected Jesus is not more logic, it is not more proof, it is not more historical evidence, it is faith that comes from the Holy Spirit. What stands between you believing in your head and loving in your heart at the resurrected Jesus Christ is not more logic, it is not more proof, it is not more historical evidence, it is faith that is given by the Holy Spirit. I truly believe this, that an honest look at history will compel you to believe in the resurrection, but it will never, ever compel you to love it. The only thing that can compel you to love Jesus and his resurrection is the Holy Spirit. And that is the difference between Christians who come to church and they believe in Jesus and they like the idea of Jesus, they like the idea of heaven, but they are not passionate about him. It's because it's in their head, but it's not in their heart. They don't love it. And so I want to just sit here and tell you, there are unbelievers here who actually truly believe in some sort of resurrection. They may not believe in the Christian understanding and interpretation of it, but they believe that something happened. And there are Christians in this room who actually believe that God raised Jesus from the dead as a payment for our sins, but they don't love the resurrection. And then there are you who not only believe in your head, but you love in your heart. And here's the difference. It's the Holy Spirit who has given you the true faith to believe. Now, wherever you come from this morning, you might be an atheist. You might be an agnostic. But here's what I want to just submit to you. You have faith. You were not there when the world began. You have never talked to anybody who has died and come back, lived for an extended period in heaven and hell, had conversations with Jesus. And if you had, well, Tell me who they are because I have millions of questions for them. I'd love to sit down with them, right? You believe what you believe simply by faith. Uh, The agnostic who says, I don't have faith, you're not honest because faith is believing what you cannot see and you cannot see where we came from. You cannot see where we're going. You cannot know what you don't know. You cannot say that there's nothing if you've never seen it. And so what I want to submit to you right now is that everyone in this room has an incredible amount of faith. And I'll be honest, there are some things that are easier for me to believe than others. Uh, Can I rant for a minute? Are you guys okay with that? Just get a little rant in my brain. Maybe this will propel you to listen to last week's message, a little 2.0 from last week. Uh, 
I can't think of anywhere in science or history where consciousness came from non-consciousness. Where all of a sudden there was, there was, there was a non-sentient, non-conscious matter, and all of a sudden it became self-reflecting. Oh, I exist, said the blob. Oh, I exist. Like, have you ever seen a Lego person ever become sentient and conscious, like self-reflective? Never. Like, never in history have we ever observed consciousness coming from non-consciousness. So here's the rule of the universe. Consciousness begets consciousness. And yet somehow there's this whole movement of secular science that believes that somehow out of non-consciousness, self-reflective analytical consciousness emerged. That feels crazy to me, okay? It violates fundamental laws of the universe. Or here's a good one. Um, science just clearly says, order, right, does not come out of chaos, okay? You will never build a house, build it, and then it will get more clean as years go on, okay? And, right, amen, people who clean your homes, can you preach, right? Preach, preach. So, somehow, in all the chaos of the universe, in our little planet, for millions of years, laws of the universe were violated, and for millions of years, order came out of chaos, and it was without some hand of a greater God or force doing it. Like, that's crazy to me. When you just look at the basic laws of the universe, consciousness begets consciousness, and chaos comes out of order, right? That's, that's just, that's fact. What's easier to believe? That unconsciousness begetted consciousness, and that order came out of chaos, or that God raised Jesus from the dead? I'm going to give you the second any day. But there's a whole movement of secular science that says it's easier to believe that the laws of the universe were violated, right, for millions of years without explanation of some kind of deity intervening. And yet we come back and say, no, there's a simpler, more rational explanation. It's simply this. There is a God. He made the world, and he raised Jesus from the dead. That's logical. Consciousness, eternal consciousness, God, begetted consciousness of all different sorts. That makes sense to me. That all the laws of the universe were violated, that doesn't make sense. Much sense to me, but that's fine. Now back to the issue. We're still left with the problem. I want to address this problem. What stands between you and Jesus today is not more logic. It is not more proof. It is not more historical evidence. It is faith that comes from the Holy Spirit. I want to illustrate this for you. This is a question that's bothered me since I ever heard about Satan. How is it Satan, a chief angel, and Michael, another chief angel, in the Bible both experience God Yet one hates him and hates people, and the other loves him and loves people. Same God, same experience, same, just same everything, same heaven, same thrones. And they come out with two completely different conclusions. I mean, Satan himself is proof that you can have all the experiential, firsthand, intimate knowledge of God, leave his presence, and hate him with a passion. So what's the difference? The difference is this, the heart. Because all knowledge of God, all information passes through this thing called the heart. And if a heart is dark, all knowledge that passes through it will be tainted. And so Satan and Michael can have the same knowledge, but the difference is the filter through which that experience and knowledge passes. And it is amazing that people could literally experience Jesus and they could come out hating him more. So people have said, and I think most people would want to say this about ourselves, if I could just touch him, if I could have a conversation with him, if I could go back in time and I could watch him do all these miracles, I'd give him my life. And I want to tell you, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't, because there were tons of people who saw the same things and they rejected him. There are people who saw the resurrection and they said, no. And what's the difference? Same information, same experience, same context. And I'll come back to the point. The difference is one group has the Holy Spirit and the other one doesn't. One group is given faith by the Holy Spirit, the other hasn't. The one group, their heart has been changed so they can understand the reality of the experiences. 
and the other, their heart is dark, and all that experience filters through it and is tainted and comes out black. So that's the difference. So I actually stand up here as a preacher, and here's what I know. That first section of our sermon was not intended to convince anyone. It was intended, very simply, to let you know that if you hear all of that, and let's say you even went home and did a greater study and found that what I said was true, you will have no more love for Jesus Christ and his resurrection than you do today. But what is the difference? If you want to be compelled to not just intellectual belief but love, you need God to give you the Holy Spirit. And this is where I want to just encourage you. Today on Easter, I pray today is the day where you come to God in God's terms for the first time. And here's what he says. Anyone who has faith, who believes in Jesus, not just in the head, but in the heart, God promises this. If you come to him, he will give you his Holy Spirit. If you can come to him on his terms and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And guess what? Everyone who gets saved, what do they get? The Holy Spirit, faith, a new heart. And now your experiences of God are filtered through something different. You have faith to believe and understand the ultimate true reality of what you're experiencing. I'll give you another illustration of this. Two men are on the cross. And two men are next to Jesus, one on his right, one on his left. And they're both shouting insults and curses at Jesus. They're both about to die. They're both guilty. They're both broken. One guy, say the guy on the left, says, uh, I hate you, if you raised, uh, raise yourself, or get yourself down, call angels down, whatever he said. I mean, imagine there's all these words he could have said to him. He's insulting him, and the other is insulting him, and then something happens. The guy on his right believes. Well, what's the difference? Was he smarter? Was he more intellectual? Did he have more knowledge or evidence? I mean, let's be straight. The guy on his right saw the right side of Jesus, and the guy on the left saw the left side of Jesus. And maybe the right side of Jesus had like some words written on it, I don't know, where he could read them. It's like all oh, the glory of Jesus emerged out of the right side, but the left side, you know, he didn't have all that. I mean, as far as I can tell, two dudes who come into the same event, they're about to die next to Jesus, shouting curses at him, and one says, oh no, I was wrong. You know what the difference is? The Holy Spirit. That's fundamentally it. That is fundamentally it. And Jesus looks at this guy and says, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Two people, same experience, same context, same person, filtered through different hearts, coming out with different responses. Right? Satan, the men on the cross, you, me, that's it. You believe, Christian, because Jesus Christ has changed your heart through the Holy Spirit. You believe because he has given you a heart to believe and eyes to see and ears to hear. That's why you're not smarter, more intellectual, or better but you have been saved by God by grace through faith and not by your own works, not because you're smart, not because you're amazing, uh, but because he has chosen to save you. And that's a beautiful reality. And so today, if you are not a believer, here's the simplicity of this. You come before Jesus Christ on his terms, no longer on your terms, demanding that he prove himself to you, but you simply say this, would you give me faith? Would you give me faith? I believe a little bit. I have what the Bible calls a mustard seed of faith. Would you turn it into a tree with deep roots that grows and bears fruit? Would you do what I can't do? And sometimes the Holy Spirit grows our faith very slowly. Sometimes he grows it really quickly. But here's what we do know, is that faith comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes after hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and believing in the gospel. So I want to encourage you this morning. Um, God doesn't play games. Anybody who comes to him and asks him to save them, he will give you the Holy Spirit. He will give you faith, and he will absolutely save you, and you will get a new heart. And that's my promise to you. Finally, I want to close with a third question. Okay, I get it. 
If you're not a Christian, you probably still disagree with me, which is cool. I'm glad that, that's great. Uh, if you are a Christian, you're like, oh, that makes sense. I haven't thought about it like that necessarily. But why is the resurrection so important? Like, why do millions, if not billions of people today gather? I mean, there are so many people who will only come to church on Christmas and Easter. That's great. We're glad you're here. Awesome. That's wonderful. But why today? What is it historically, what is it about this thing that compels people to come? Why is it now husbands who won't go to church any other day will go with their wives on this day and vice versa? Wives who won't go with their husbands will go on this day. It's just an interesting cultural phenomenon, I think, around this. But I want to tell you there's a couple things about the resurrection that you need to get. Number one, without belief in the resurrection, you cannot be saved and you cannot call yourself a Christian. So I'm going to read to you Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you... Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. In your head? Say with me, in your heart, right? That God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So already and all throughout the New Testament, we see the resurrection is essential. If you love the moral Jesus, you love the mythological Jesus, the, the moral example Jesus, but you don't believe in the resurrection, I want you to hear me. You're not saved and you are not allowed to call yourself a Christian. So the word Christian is not a flexible, malleable term. It means something, and it has meant something for 2,000 years. A Christian at its core is somebody who believes that God became flesh and Jesus was sinless, died on the cross for our sins, rose again from the dead, and ascended to heaven and is coming back. Okay? If you leave any of those out, you lose the privilege to call yourself a Christian. Now, let me give you an example. I am not Asian. If I go around telling you that I'm an Asian American, does that make it true? No. I can convince everybody. I can say that, I'm, that that's my truth, right? It doesn't matter if it's my truth. Objectively, is it true? No. And so I can go around and claim that all I want, but it does not make me one. You can go around and claim yourself a Christian, but if you do not believe in the fundamentals, specifically that there was a literal bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, proving that God had, had forgiven all the sins of the world of those who believe in him on the cross, like, if you don't believe that, you lose the right to call yourself Christian. And you can sound cute and go around and do that, but hear me, you're not a Christian, okay? Number two, without the resurrection, there is no forgiveness of sins, Acts 13. But he, Jesus, whom God raised up, he did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Jesus is not dead rotting in the ground, Okay? God raised him from the dead, validating Jesus' claims about himself and declaring and proclaiming over all of humanity and anybody who would see it that, the, that his sacrifice in our behalf was accepted. That, that's it. I want you to get And if Jesus had not done that, there is no forgiveness of sins. And if you don't believe in a resurrected Jesus, you cannot have forgiveness of sins. So believing the resurrection is essential to being a Christian. It's essential to receiving forgiveness of sins. And number three, the resurrection, I love this, screams. I mean, it just yells at us about our future. And so Jesus' resurrected body, it's called the first fruits, the first of many to come, is, is the future of all of us, okay? So again, nobody can prove because they've been there what happens after death, but here's what the Bible says. And Jesus came and died before the judgment so that we would all know that there's a resurrection, right? And, and he came, and here's what, here's what it means. Everybody, right, you don't, die and then go into non-consciousness for the rest of your life and cease to exist. You don't die, go to heaven, and stay there as a spirit being separated from your body for all eternity. That's not the biblical story. You die, you're separated from your body, 
you're with God in heaven, and then at the, at the final judgment, when he makes a new heaven and a new earth, he gives a resurrected body. But catch this, to everyone, to everyone, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, not one living human being will stay unconscious or spirit. Everyone, good or evil, Christian or non-Christian, receive a resurrected body. It's called the double resurrection. I'll read from a couple passages. Daniel 12, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth, it means they're dead, they shall awake, some to eternal life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky above. Jesus taught this in John 5. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And they will come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Is there a resurrection of evil and good people? Can I get an amen on that one, right? Good. In the book of Acts. But this I confess to you, that according to the way, that's what Christianity was called before it was Christian, which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. And so here's what you need to know. The resurrection of Jesus is a declaration that you will not die and meander into unconsciousness or be a spirit being forever. Your destiny, whether just or unjust, righteous or evil, is that you will receive a resurrected body. You will live on a new heaven and a new earth. And hell, so to speak, is a very physical place on a new earth. And that's what the Bible teaches. Most people don't get that, okay? And so when you come back and you look at all of this, Jesus' resurrection, he's the first of many to come, and this is our destiny, no matter who you are. Personally, I'd rather be on Jesus' side than on the hell side, but we'll keep going. Number four, I'll close with this. If the resurrection is possible, anything is possible. I mean, if the resurrection is truly possible, anything is possible. I'll read you Acts 13. He whom God raised up he did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything which, with which, from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Like, if, Jesus, if God can raise Jesus from the dead, I mean, if God can make you out of dust and bring consciousness and form to you, right? If God can raise Jesus out of the dead, can he not take a cremated body and bring it back together and put its spirit back into it and resurrect it from the dead? And if the God of the universe can do that, can he not do anything in your heart and in your life? I mean, we step back and we are a resurrection people. Because of this, we believe that with God, nothing is impossible. And so I want to close simply with this. Uh, today, if you are not a Christian, I'm so glad you're here. Keep coming back. Argue with me. I'd love to talk to you about it. We'll intellectually arm wrestle. It'll be a blast. I'm not concerned or scared of your unbelief. Uh, love to just talk with you, hear where you're coming from, and you could hear where I'm coming from. I'm so glad you're here. I want to invite you back. I want to invite you to consider through the Word of God the claims of Jesus Christ. Uh, I want to invite you to Give God a chance and ask him to give you the Holy Spirit and confess faith in Jesus Christ. See if he does not give you his Holy Spirit if you genuinely ask. And I want to invite you back and just say we love you. We're glad you're here. And uh, this is Easter and we're Christians, so we talk about the Bible and celebrate. If you are a believer in Jesus, do me a favor. Celebrate. Don't argue with your spouse. Don't argue with your kids. Oh, too much. <laughs> Enjoy the day where we step back and we embrace and celebrate our God is not dead, but he's alive. Eat lots of food, gain five pounds, do whatever you gotta do. Just enjoy and celebrate with one another. Thank God 
Thank God for every good blessing and gift that you've been given. But here's the deal, right? Here's what you know. No matter how hard today is, because the resurrection happened, you know your destiny. Rest. Rest. Okay? So Village Church, we are, we are a people of a risen God. I cannot wait till he comes back again and we get to see this double resurrection reality. I want to ask the band to come up. We're going to close in prayer and worship. Father, thank you for intervening in human history according to your plan. Thank you that you and your son and the spirit collaborated together to form this beautiful plan of redemption. God, I thank you that at the right time in history, Jesus became flesh. God, I thank you that he endured the cross on Good Friday. And Father, I thank you that you raised him from the dead, declaring to everyone on the planet that the price for sins has been paid and it can be applied to us if we would simply believe, not just in our heads like Satan and so many in this world, but in our hearts. So God, thank you for the Holy Spirit that enables us to believe and I pray for those who want to believe but can't, would you intervene in their life? And would you overwhelmingly and with power reveal the beauty of Jesus to their heads but also to their hearts? So God, what better way to respond to the resurrected Jesus than to worship? We love you, we thank you, and all God's people said,